We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Lucas Torreira's move to Italy is off after breaking his neck, staring up at Arsenal's new twin towers in central defense. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right, poor little Lucas Torreira. He was going to get sold back to Italy, but then broke his neck, staring up at Saliba and Gabriel Magalhães because they are twin towers and... Good thing Pablo Marie wasn't around the club or he would have broken his back staring up at him too. But suddenly, not such a slight uh, bullied central defense at Arsenal anymore. Is there any quality back there? I don't know. Maybe we'll discuss that. But sadly, as a big giant lumbers into our club, a beautiful bird catcher appears to be exiting. Uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles looks off to Wolves, but honestly, when the big clubs come calling, it is hard to keep your players. I kid. Although they did finish above us in the table and go further than us in Europe. But that's another story. We, we certainly hope to see that uh, change in the immediate future. Lots of other news. We've signed a set-piece coach from Brentford. We'll get into that. And we will discuss briefly the Champions League final only as an entree into uh, examining what dirty, filthy, nasty things we would do to get Thiago Alcantara into Arsenal, even at his advanced age. So, Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. Ooh. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Tim's on Twitter. Stop Hello, Tim. Hello there. Hey, and I should mention, uh, so one thing we're going to try doing, uh, not for this one, obviously, because Clive hasn't shaved. So he was, you know, he was very clear on that. Uh, I haven't shaved or showered, but it's not smell-o-vision. We're going to probably start recording the pod as video also. And so uh, if you are a patron, you'll have the opportunity to watch the pod if you want. Not just put us in your ears, but you can now put us in your eyes. Uh and it'll be clothing optional, so we'll see how that goes. So let's get started, and there's only one person I can start with, and that is Clive. Uh, you have my condolences. 
I know that you will be grieving today. Uh, this is a bereavement podcast. Clive, the bird catcher, Ainsley Maitland-Niles does appear to go. And I tweeted, and I believe this, a few months ago, I would have seen this as purely positive. The kind of thing a smart club does. Young player, but not that young, 23, never really nailed down a position, unclear what his future is at the club. Go get your 20 million pounds and move on. It's what smart clubs do. But I must admit, he starts the cup semifinal. He starts the cup final. He looks like a shutdown defender. Suddenly you're saying, surely we can find a place for this player, but surely the player uh, has chosen to move on. So I find myself a little more distraught about this than I expected to be, a little more conflicted about it, and I'm curious to see uh, if you feel the same. Yeah, we should get the narrative right. So, um, well, firstly, I don't care about any of the players. You know that, right? I I you hate to, them all. Like, you hate you hate the club, the players, the coach. I hate the whole the shirt, everything. You hate the whole. I think it's really dangerous when we start to love the players because then we don't see the game appropriately. And and I'm on the podcast, and I need to see the game appropriately. So. Soon to be a video cast, my friend. Yeah, oh, sorry, you're absolutely right. Once I saw a boat out, that'll be that'll be done. So. Yeah, Maitland-Niles, I've always liked him because I can see he was incomplete. And naturally, when I see incomplete players, I want to fix them. So, But then I look at what he can do well, and I've, I've, I've often said he's got really good attributes. But sometimes you just reach the end of the road, right? And, I, and I'm not sure if he wanted to go. I just feel that he wants to push his career into a different direction. And we've got a lot of players at our club that are prepared not to do that. They're prepared to sit there in the lovely trees around London Colney, in the lovely Adidas training kit, knowing they're not in the team, and just take their money. And then when we have a player like this, who I think has got multiple talents, but he's the one that's prepared to say, you know what, I'm going to go. While those are sitting there waiting for contractual situations to sort themselves out and, and, and drain the club, okay, we gave them, we gave them the contract, so it's 50-50. But I do admire, just much like I admired Oxlade Chamber when he went, and not afraid to go and try somewhere else. And I think that's a really good thing. I, I think it's a shame. I wish we could have found a role for him. But if if all of the listeners now name their first 11s, I'm not sure he's in many. And at 22, 23, he needs to be in a first 11 somewhere else. You know, and um, for me, he's in my first 11, but that's just how I see the game, right? So... He doesn't seem to be in everybody's hearts, but that has changed over the last few months because he's done it in the biggest moments. He's now left with a good memory. It's a shame. I'd much rather see other bodies go first, but you can't sit here for two, three years after for a rebuild, and when you lose one of your favoured players, say, oh, I don't like that because I want to see the club rebuilt. I want to see the playing staff rebuilt, and if this facilitates that, then hands up, I'm going to support it. Yeah, I mean, Clive, I appreciate it because I think what you are saying is really how we all have to think, unfortunately, which is we are trying to build a team that can win the Premier League and the Champions League. And I know it sounds stupid to say that when you finished eighth, went out early in Europa League. We did win the FA Cup, arguably the most important cup in all of football. I've been saying it forever. Um but like we're we're not trying to build a nice club of players we like that can maybe compete for top four. So you have to look at a move, and instead of being devastated, look, emotionally, if you want to be devastated about losing player you like, you're always welcome to that. Of course, we all have our favorites. I mean, I was devastated when Cesc Fabregas left. Now, that's different because he was very special, but because I cared for him. But, Tim, the, the, the point is to build a winner. And whether Ainsley Maitland-Niles had a role at Arsenal long-term in a club that wants to move up in the top four and then up to the top of the league and then up to the top table of Europe— 
I think it's an open question. We are definitely guilty of falling for players with very small sample sizes. Like, you know, we we gave Ozil his new contract, arguably on the back of a couple of good months, but just the season before he had had some indifferent form. We forget that. We fell out of love with Alexis for a couple of indifferent months too. Like, we're very um, recency bias driven in football. Understandably, as we all are. It's the last thing you saw. And the last thing I remember seeing is Ainsley Maitland-Niles looking like a shutdown defender and a world beater on our way to winning a cup. So, of course, I love the guy. I still think his passing is questionable. I think, um, you know, there are some issues of of his ability to stay switched on defensively off the ball, but he's also not the finished article yet. So, I want to ask you a slightly different question, though. Do you believe that Ainsley Maitland-Niles would be staying at Arsenal if we hadn't made the Cedric move? And is that the original sin here? Do you think that you can look at the things as being uh, totally independent? So I think what's most likely is that we brought Cedric Suarez in because Ainsley Maitland-Niles had either expressed a desire to leave or, I don't know, maybe at that point Arteta thought he was going to leave or didn't want him or et cetera, et cetera. But I, I don't think Ainsley Maitland-Niles is going because we signed Cedric. I think it's more likely to be the other way around. Um, what what will really interest me about that, and, and sorry, just to endorse what you said as well, you know, we, we had the chat, didn't we, last week on the uh, Patreon pod about Serge Gnabry. This, as you said, this is what we should be doing with the Academy. And, and look, I've got the receipts from this podcast. I've been saying this for years, that rather than spending 17 million on someone like Lucas Perez, put an Academy player in there, see what they can do, and it's win-win. Someone like Eddie Nketiah, win-win he either solves a bit of a problem for us for a couple of years and we flip him for some money or he turns out to be great win-win both brilliant Ainsley Maitland-Niles Alex Iwobi you know uh, did some good things for us probably saved us you know prevented us from spending millions and millions on another Lucas Perez or someone like that and you know and, and ultimately we've we flipped them for some cash and that that's great um, I, I think, and, and you know, Maitland-Niles has come to, he's, as you say, he's 23 next week. He probably doesn't want to be Mr. Utility Man anymore. And as Clive said on the pod a couple of weeks ago, he's one of those players that he's not going to be in the starting 11 every week. He's a really handy player to have for certain game plans, and I'd love to have kept him for that. But he's 23, and he probably doesn't want that anymore, and I completely understand that. What interests me is what role he's signing up for at Wolves, because... Wolves have a couple of killer wingbacks. Um, actually, they're well stocked in that position. So, you know, he's not going to go and walk in at right wingback um, at Wolves because they've got uh, they've got Doherty, they've got Traore that can play there. Mm. You know, that that's not a spot that's wide open. So it makes me wonder whether Wolves... I mean, first of all, Wolves have played exactly the same formation and I think they need to move to a new stage of their evolution now where... They're just constantly playing 3-5-2. And I think it's probably overstating it to say they've been worked out, but it's a bit samey. They use the same 14 players and they use the same formation all the time. So I wonder if, if you know, Wolves are looking at a player like Maitland-Niles and thinking, ah, this is... And someone like Santos looking at this and thinking, ah, this is a player that gives me the option to switch things um, if I need to. Um, or I wonder if one, one of the issues I think Wolves have, that Arsenal have, that any team that plays a back three has, is that sometimes you lose control of that midfield. Um, and, you know, obviously they've got Neves and Matinho in there, two really, really good players. Um, but a player they've, they've kind of turned to a bit more in recent 
weeks and months is uh, Dendonka um, in there. And I wonder if they're just looking at their midfield and thinking, uh, maybe, maybe we need a third player in there to knit this together a little bit. And we've got Matinho and Neves, who are both really hard workers, good creative players. Maybe we need that other piece. Um, and, and this is me speculating. And if that's what he's signed up for, if they've said to him, look, Obviously, we can't make you any guarantees, but we see you as a midfielder here. Or if they've said, look, we think you're better than the wing backs we've got, then that will be interesting. If he's gone to Wolves and signed up for the same role he's got at Arsenal, then I, I don't. Obviously, I'm an Arsenal fan, right? So I'm biased and I think that Arsenal Arsenal's a better place to be than Wolves. But objectively speaking, Arsenal is a better place to be than Wolves. Um, and so if, if he's just gone to a club you know, who aren't in Europe next season as well, for example, and just signed on for the same role. I, I don't think I really get that, um, to be honest. So so I'm really interested to see. I, I completely understand his reasons for wanting this wanting to go, but I'm really interested to see what role he gets at Wolves. If he plays um, at wing-back like 30% of the time and is on the bench the rest of the time, I think it's a bit of a waste for him and potentially for us. Yeah. Um, I, I, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, well, no, that's fine. I finished. Well, and I mean, look, there is also the fact that I, I think the club were happy to sell. I think the player got a new agent, and agents like to sell players because that makes them more money. And so he's pouring honey in your ear about you need to make this move for your career. And the club is thinking we can get 20 plus million pounds. So everybody kind of wins. I, I do think if we are going to become a back four team, Maitland Niles' path to playing time and path to regular playing time would have gotten a lot murkier. The role he played in the cup final run looks less clear. Clive, I know you want to enlarge Tim's point. I have yet to hear uh, Paul's voice or, or indeed a single sexual analogy. So do you want to just add quickly uh, just so so we can yeah, get those quickly. in? Well, Tim's touching it, right? So Matt Doherty, I really like him. He's a right wing back. We can also play right centre back. But that's an interesting one there. And they could be using him at right wing back. But Martinez getting on a little bit as well in that central area. So I can see him fighting for that role. And I think... How old is Martinez? I'm not sure exactly, but has he hit 28, 29 yet? No, he's not in uh, Tiago range. Okay, so a year or two from now, we should be informed. Got it. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So (laughs) there's there's options there, and let's not underplay this, right? Nuno's a decent manager. You know, let's not mess about. He is one of the best managers in the league. He's not Arteta. He's a a balding man in a tracksuit. Give me a break. (laughs) Let's give him respect that they've got a plan for him, and he's going to do well in a very fast team that transitions very quickly, and he does it both ways. Mm. So I can see why they want him. Again, what what coach wouldn't, right? He, He does so many things at pace, so... He's great for coaches, but you know we got to allow him to get his career. That's what I think Wolves are going to try yeah, and do, and get a fair, a fair price for. It. I mean, Paul, you hate to see academy kids go because you get attached to them. And the one thing that we are always going to do is project that they have a big future, right? So we saw a little glimpse of him playing really well. Admittedly, like I say, really well when he played on the left side, like attacking wise, he wasn't very good because he was on his weaker foot. And fair enough, but like. There is a tendency to project that we are losing a superstar. And I think we all have to take a deep breath and remember that it's unclear that he was even starter quality for Arsenal going forward and what role he would have had doing that. And so, uh, you know, I can understand why the club might want to cash in. I can understand why the player might want to move. Um, Had he stayed, do you think, just project for me what we're losing. What do you think the reality of Maitland-Niles' Arsenal career would have been if he stayed? 
What what kind of role and what kind of level do you think he re- realistically would have hit? I, I think the missing piece for us is things look very different if you're part of the coaching staff or part of the squad. Um, they must be sometimes bemused by kind of what we see from our side because um, the Maitland-Miles thing only seems to work as th- to some degree to what Tim said if you understand the background here. But if you just take it on footballing ability and what we have seen in terms of how he plays, I mean, I definitely think he has still significant upside. And yes, you can say small sample size with with Arteta towards the end, but pretty decent sample size um, under Emery. And mostly he was very impressive. I think we were all surprised. I mean, he disappeared from sight almost overnight when Arteta came in, which is why I'd be fascinated to see it from their side. Is that because uh, Maitland-Niles just didn't meet the non-negotiables till the end of, of the season? Or, as Tim says, was it on the cards that Maitland-Niles was had a new agent and was on his way out? What was going on there? Because Maitland-Niles on paper is the player you keep, and Cedric is the player you look to sell on and get some money for and get wages off your books. Um, now we have other things going on and we probably need 20 million from here and 30 million from there. When I look at somebody like Maitland Niles, he's a uh, 20 million, I think is too little for Maitland Niles as a wing back. Uh, if he has his head screwed on for you, I think just in terms of the capabilities that guy brings, um, he's, he's better than 20 million. Uh, you know, if you look, especially if we can use the Iwobi exchange rate. <laughs> um, and as a team, I think he's perfect for somebody like a Wolves. That's the right size of club to go to because, yes, they could use him in two or three different positions, uh, which again increases his value. But as Tim says, if they're really looking for more of a midfielder there, I'm not sure 20 million. Uh, I think that's too much for what I... Uh, um, Clive will be coughing up his lunch here, but I don't think we've seen enough for two, three seasons from Maitland-Niles to justify 20 million as a midfielder. Um, So it'll be interesting to look back after three or four months of his Wolves career and see what did they buy him for? Um, Because as I say, probably 20 million is a good aggregate sum to pay for him if you're going to use them potentially in a couple of roles, but you're not exactly sure what. But if you just bought them as an out-and-out uh, wing-back, full-back, um, I mean, I just really like the guy, unless what you see when you're in our, our camp is a guy who doesn't always have his compass pointed north. And I suspect of all the players we had, there's always a few of those in your squad. And you don't know till you're part. It's really interesting to see stuff written uh, about teams we've we've watched 10 years ago or 12 years ago or eight years ago where the truth comes out and you hear stuff about Alex Song or this or that and the other. And you think, Jesus Christ, how do these squads even operate when a character is acting like this, that or the other again? Clive is coughing up his lunch. Um, by by implication, I guess my question, you know, if I had to guess the players who you were the most worried about as a coach, um, distracting rather than contributing to, my guess would be based on pure supposition, he's a reasonable candidate for a guy that 
a, a coach might think, hmm, I, I, you know, it, th this guy can be a bit distracting. This guy subtracts rather than adds. So that's just guesswork. But I just don't understand why we would let this guy go. If his head screwed on right and he's the right stuff, I think it's a crime that we let this guy go. I really do. And yes, you want to sell a few of these. But I I put Maitland-Niles above Awobi in terms of his potential as a footballer and contribution to the club. And I liked Awobi better than, than many. There's really... There's really several components to any player at a club, right? There's acquisition cost, there's wages, there's sell-on value, and there's service. So there's acquisition cost. In the case of, of an academy player, it's nothing. In the case of a, a free signing, you know, maybe that's nothing, you know, maybe a signing bonus, something like that, but, but nothing. There's wages, which is what a player is paid in fiat currency. And and then their service. How well did they play for you? You know, did, did they make the team better? Did, did they contribute to a path going forward? And you always have to balance these things. So like, you know, not buying a player, buying a player, selling a player, all of these things fit together. So when you look at like Cedric's acquisition, for example, there's a cost to the loan. There's a cost to the wages. There's the fact that he will probably be worth nothing at the end of his contract based on his age. In other words, there will be no sell-on value. And then there's service. What is Cedric's service if Bellerin stays? Backup fullback who maybe takes the starter job. We don't know. Does he really push us forward? What is the cost of Cedric if we lost Maitland-Niles for him? If we could have given Maitland-Niles the path, you say, oh, then we don't get the money for selling Maitland-Niles. Yeah, but we don't pay the money to acquire a Cedric. You know, so, so I mean, it all fits together. And I, I think, in general, I am pro-selling. Sell all the players. I mean, you're eighth in the Premier League. Sell all the players. There are only, you know, there are only a few that you could say, honestly, you can't replace, you can't live without. You just have to sell them all. I mean, Ted, Ted Knutson on the squad building pod said, said it clearly. You got to kill your darlings. Clubs that hold on too long can't rebuild. So I'm okay with... And his with peak window was so small. That's still... The biggest thing, like he had 24 to 26, but at a push, he'd expand his window from from 23 to 28. He's basically sell them all as they approach that peak window. Yeah, and and look, I mean, obviously don't sell them if they're the ones that can take you to the top. Does Ainsley, Ainsley Maitland-Niles take us to the top? We don't know. Probably not, but we don't know. We know Cedric doesn't come on. You're not going to say, well, he was the piece that got us back into the top four and ultimately pushing for the title, and we're going to sell him for nothing. So ordinarily, I'd say, look, he's a good kid. I do like his upside. We're getting good money. It's good for everybody. The thing that keeps me from purely celebrating it as just good, smart club stuff is we got this bum Cedric, and that's why we're losing our academy kid. If that is the case, screw that. I hate it. Uh, Clive, I'll let you have the last thought here. Um... I mean, because you, you didn't really get to weigh in on that point. I, I am normally pro-selling. I would normally be pro-selling Maitland-Niles, saying that it's good for all parties involved. We get the money, we move on. Same like the Iwobi deal. But, you know, if we had lost Iwobi because we had signed, you know, Aaron Lennon, <laughs> then I wouldn't have been as happy about it. So do, do you think the two things fit together, or do you think even without the Cedric signing, this would be happening? I think it's linked to the Cedric signing. I think the plan was there all along. Um, it is obvious, right? Cedric, it's, a, it's an obvious thing. You've got three for two in fullback situations. You've got a situation where Cedric allows 
Saka to develop further forward, and he allows Maitland-Niles to earn the club money, and he comes in on a free transfer. It's, it's just business. I, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't have gone for Cedric, but we did. right? So if Klasnik goes out the door for a bit of money, and the plan starts to develop, and a few of the bodies that are too comfortable start to go, then we look back and say, you know what, we're in good shape. And if we add the centre midfielders we no doubt would like to see, then we think, you know what, that helped build a different level of midfielder into our club and allows us to dominate games, etc., etc. So I'd rather see the plan go. I am not happy to see this player go, but I've been, you know, I want us to be better. I want us to be better, and that needs money, and our owner's not about to give us lots and lots of money. So... This is the only way we can do it. And it's a shame it's one of the ones I like that goes first. But that's the way of the West, I'm afraid. Mm. Um, Tim, can I ask you just a super quick question? Because we're going to move on to Gabriel Magalhaes. Um, I'm going to say his last name every time now. (laughs) Love it. Uh, Outside of the goal for Norwich, what's your favorite Cedric performance for Arsenal? Um, well, there, uh, there's there's just too many to choose. If you had to uh, pick one, is, is there one that just stands out as as <sighs> the quintessential Cedric performance, other than the goal against Norwich? I mean, did 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 he start against Wolves or Southampton or no, it wasn't Southampton. Yeah, he started against Wolves, didn't he? Wolves away, um, and then was subbed for Bellerin after 65 minutes. So yeah, yeah, that was great. Great. Okay. Good. Yeah, I I got I got to be honest. Like, I can't just pick one. So, you know, just just really happy he's on board. He's on, he's on the boat. Thank God he's on the boat. Um, okay, I, I'm going to get so much hate for this. I'm sorry. I just don't like the Cedric move. I know I've been in the wars. I've, I have served in the Cedric wars, as I've said previously. Um, you know, block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. What are you going to do? Uh, Tim, Gabriel Magalhaes does look like he has inched so close to Arsenal that I am afraid he might be inside Arsenal now, um, which, given the size of him, yikes. Uh <laughs> It looks to be a little over 20 million euros, I think they said, plus add-ons. Yeah, he's yeah. he's young. He's talented. It looks like we're building a future with Saliba and Gabriel. What's your expectation of him coming in and playing right away? That's the first thing I'm curious about. I mean, I think... So we have a... <laughs> I mean, we have more center backs than any team in, in all of Europe. And I'm not sure any of them are good, but we've got a lot of them. So, yeah. I mean... Obviously, we need to try to shift some. I mean, just take some up to the cabin up north, leave some in the woods, do what you got to do. We got to get rid of some. But it is a fair question whether you want to bring Gabriel and Saliba in right away at their age and expose them when you do have a lot of more senior guys who can play. What's your expectation in terms of where he'll be in the pecking order to start with? I I kind of, so I'll preface this by, and as patrons who listen to the bottom Friday will know, I I don't really have much insight into this player at all. Super glad I asked you about him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> other than the fact that I, I've I have seen him live um, in Brazil really randomly a game I went to about three years ago he played in um, but yeah so I you know but I think a club of Arsenal's resources spending around 20 million on a centre-back and and you know he's 22 isn't he that that says to me he's going to play um, mm. quite frankly and as you've highlighted yes we have a lot of centre-backs but when you look at them, who are you looking at and thinking, well, he's undroppable. There's no way he can play instead of him. Um, I think what we're probably looking at is a bit of a transition so that um, what we'll have is we'll have, I think we'll have, you know, depending on whether we play the three or the two or whatever. And I think David Luiz is is the bridge, 
here. I think um, the idea is probably that David Luiz will oversee the transition. So my best guess is that we'll probably start with Luiz and, and Gabriel, um, particularly the fact they speak the same language. Um, very nice as well. Um, and uh, and they both speak French, actually, as well. Um <laughs> And, and then I think you'll see Saliba is the one for me who's, you know, slightly younger, will probably be kind of introduced a bit more slowly. And then and so I think essentially what Arteta's thinking is probably that this season we'll have Louise, Mustafi, Gabriel, Saliba um, and Pablo Mari, who's injured anyway. And that eventually, as the season goes on, we'll wean ourselves away from David Luiz, who we know is going next summer anyway, unless he somehow lands like a five year contract or something, um, which under Raul he might have. Uh, <laughs> um, so so I, I think and, and Mustafi will definitely go next summer as well. So I think you're seeing like a you're seeing a bit of a. Um, uh, a natural kind of transition there. So I, I think Gabriel, I, I think if, if Arsenal are spending a good chunk of what they have available to spend this summer, um, and I am sure that Gabriel will be the most expensive player in terms of transfer fee that we buy this summer, um, you know, unless we do some kind of funky part exchange deals for a Thomas party or something that, that to me, that's starting money um, for Arsenal at the moment. And he's 22 and, you know, he's played for Lille. It's not like he's been, you know, it's not like he's been playing in the Brazilian state leagues or anything. He's, he's got some good experience behind him. So I expect him to be a starter alongside Luiz. And then we'll wean ourselves away from Luiz, bring Saliba in more gradually. Then you've probably got Mary fit for the second half of the season. And then Luiz and Mustafi can go next summer. I am sure we will try to move heaven and earth to get Socrates out the door this summer. And I think we would really, really try and get at least one of holding or chambers out. But I think if in La La Land we get good offers for both, they'll both go. I, I don't think that either of them has a long-term future at Arsenal. Yeah, I think this cements both holding in chambers as expendable and not part of the plan for the future. I also think it calls into question the Mari move, which I thought at the time was questionable and now I think is questionable. And I guess it's a good chance for me to go to Paul then because I haven't fought with him in a while. Um, Paul, I know that like you are madly, desperately, deeply in love with Pablo Mari. I, I, yes, I invite I you to explain to me how that move makes any sense in the context of this. But let, let's keep it positive for a minute. <laughs> just, just for a minute. I am trying to think of a time when Arsenal had two... Pre-prime, young, physically dominant, high upside central defensive talents who, if it works out, could give us, you know, a, a center back pairing for years to come, you know, barring us losing them because when have we ever lost players before they got to shine for us? But like, um, you know, I realized that Murtisacker and Koscielny at one time, maybe, maybe at one time was the best center back pairing in the league for, for a hot minute, but... This looks like, a, a, dare I say it, a very good plan. Um, so, I mean, do you, do you agree with me? Are you, I find myself very excited about this because I think this lets us now say, okay, let's go finally build an attack that can restore Arsenal to the kind of team that scares people and we don't have to be the mullet of world football with, you know, business in the front, party at the back. This is, this looks like a very good long-term plan. So are, are you as upbeat about the future defensively for Arsenal? I'm very optimistic about it. I think those two players 
give you size, athleticism, they're at the right age, they can be shaped, um, they can play a high line. In fact, uh, they both have the, the physical speed, prowess. They, they both enjoy a one-on-one, um, handle themselves well, don't go to ground too quickly, um, at least from, from what I've seen of them and the bit I've read. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really promising. Of course, the only downside is that they've both only had like a season and a bit in uh, League 1 um, to prove themselves. And Saliba's had some injuries. So you, you glom it all together. They've had just over about one good season in Liga. 1. Um, Saliba's uh, even a couple of years younger. So uh, as Tim says, it'll be interesting to see how we transition there. Obviously, uh, Luis is a pretty dominant character in our dressing room um, and will take some shifting from the back line, but it may be one of those things where there's a good understanding of what the the succession plan is, and as the, the season goes on, there's more and more scope for, uh, I guess you would expect, uh, if we're playing two at the back, it would be uh, Magali Eyes, who, uh, who's, who's beginning to take over that, uh, Luis spot, but maybe we'll pl- still play plenty of three at the back. In which case, you can have all three of them on the pitch at the same time. But yeah, it, they'll need months and probably a good half a year to really settle in, get comfortable, because it's it's the one spot where um, if you don't settle in and 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 feel, you know, we saw with Gabriel Paulista. Um, I mean, who had many fine attributes and and the physic physicality maybe we were looking for and the athleticism. Um, you got to settle them in so that they feel part of a unit, um, which goes beyond just the centre backs. So very important that that they're adopted in uh, and slot into something, slot into a structure that we kind of don't really have at the moment. Um, I'm not even sure we already have the experienced players. They can help them off the pitch and, and kind of in the league, etc. But we don't really have that structure. They just plop into, you know, Tierney's new. Um, uh, Bellerin's established, that's fair enough. But what form format we'll play at the back, what our midfield it, just in front of them will look like, it could still be a lot of shifting sands for the best part of another season. But a season out, yeah. Uh, optimistic, but I don't know if I think our future's bright and it's all locked in because it just seems to be the toughest spot. <laughs> yeah, mm. it's just the toughest spot to know how a player is going to turn out. It just it's so much of it is between the years. Yeah, and I mean, I just think there's there are very few positions that are as difficult to project future success yeah. for, like center back, as you say. So I, yeah, I I think that's difficult. But but Clive, I mean, let's. Let's try to finish the, the Megali's talk. I'm just going to keep saying his last name because I love it. Uh, Gabrielle talk, just on, on a positive note. Like, what what do you think the outlook is? I, I mean, building on, on Paul's point, and in terms of just, look, the club has done some things that we, I don't think I need to tell anybody that, that the club has made some questionable moves that I don't understand and don't necessarily agree with, and there may be more to come this summer based on the rumors, but... Between Saliba and Gabrielle, this kind of looks like how you'd go about building a central defense for the future if you were a club that wanted to plan longer term, had a lot of aging center backs who you don't necessarily rate but can at least you know 
fill up some minutes for you in the meantime, and you don't have 85 million pounds to spend on, on Virgil van Dyke. So this looks like a combination of good talent acquisition, good identification, good recruitment. I mean, are you as bullish on the move from just sort of a squad building and, and strategy standpoint? Yeah, well, absolutely. I think um, what this highlights to me is how poorly we've recruited and how long it's taken us to get to this point. I mean, we've had some moments with um, Chambers and Holding that have been positive, but we've been fooling ourselves. You know, I've been quite critical in the past, and I don't like being critical, but it's just they just got levels to them. Socrates was a short-term player. Mustafi, I thought he was a, a buy we didn't need. Again, why are we buying a five foot ten and a half centre back that's physically challenged and always on his backside? I mean, why are we doing that? So again, it's the recruitment. Louise was to fill a hole in the situation that we allowed to develop with Koscielny and didn't react quickly enough. In some ways, that buy is looking really, really good from a maybe not from financially, but from a human perspective, it's, it's looking really good. Um, and we just got a situation. Mary, I quite like. I will say that I've said it before and I'll say it again. I, I urge you to watch the games where he's played and where he's been fit. Um, he, uh, Good he's man, not, Clive. Go on. He is, he is. I'll tell you now. I'm telling you, watch the game. He, <laughs> he, the players give him the ball. He is a defensive leader on distribution. I can see him easily in the middle of a back three. Easily. Dan Louise is getting older. He could easily be that player. He's got leadership he directs, he knows the game, he knows when to press, he knows when to drop off, he knows the game, he knows what he is, he knows what he hasn't got, and so everyone keeps saying, oh he's slow, well I'll tell you now, this Man City game, he was injured in the first two minutes, that's when he got injured, when he when he covered across, he got injured then, and all that happened when he got run on that corner was that injury then came and hit him, he wasn't, you know, he got himself in a situation where the injury hit him, he was in no man's land, just please, or you, it'll, it'll come out in time. It's interesting, the very first game after lockdown, he was in, and and he was in straight away. And so I think there's a better player there than people realise, but let's just wait and see what actually happens. Although, if you ask me, if there was a choice to buy Gabriel or Murray in January and we decide not to go for Gabriel, then that doesn't look too great. So personally, this is what centre-backs should look like. They should be fast, they should be quick, they should be one-on-one players, otherwise you can't play a back four. We've had back three defenders for three, four years now, and that's why we had to play a back three, much to your disdain, Elliot. So, um, but yeah, we finally got the um, the Colo Torre, Sol Campbell type players that when you turn around, you don't worry about them winning races because they just win them. I'm you probably that's need good. though three or four of them, right? Because you just don't know who will work out between Saliba and Magali eyes. You, well, you need. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Look, you guys know that I'm not a big believer in squad. Like, I don't think squad depth wins you titles. I think starting 11 depth wins you titles. And all you have to do is look at Liverpool's backup cent- central defenders. But, like, I don't think you can just have 21 and 22-year-old center backs. I fully acknowledge that. And, you know, you guys talk about back three, and you know I don't like the back three, but you've got it all wrong. You think I want us to go to a back four. I think we play all the center backs. Play them all. Try scoring then. Louise, Mustafi, Socrates, Chambers, Holding, Magalhães, Marie, and Saliba. I mean, come on. And then just play for corners. Get big Sam to coach us. We'd be unstoppable. Just a thought. I say we move on from Gabriel because we're going to announce him and then we're going to have to do more pods on him. So can, can we move on from him? Because there'll be more time to discuss. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah no? No? You, you want to keep going? Well, 
Yeah, okay. Well, so you don't like my idea, really, is what you're saying. <laughs> Paul's point is really important, right? So because as, as we develop into these two being our first choice, whether that takes six months or a year, next summer now we have to buy another speedster, another one-on-one player. So when one of those two kids gets injured, we don't have to change how we play. Very important. So next summer, while they're being mentored this year, next summer when David Louise goes, we need to get another another speedster, another one-on-one player, and then, we, then we're in good shape going forward. And because they won't all work out, right? They look good on paper right now, but one of these two probably just won't quite be as good as as build sadly okay well let's move on because we got a couple other things to get to and, and as i said there'll be plenty of time to go on and on about uh what is inarguably the greatest defensive collection ever assembled uh not only by arsenal but globally so uh tim before we get to tiago alcantara and, and and what role he'll play for us in midfield and how many titles he'll win for us um i just want to talk briefly about specialization in football so we have apparently signed a set-piece coach from Brentford. And I find this to be tremendously interesting because, mm. you know, look, I, I know people hate it, especially when Americans do it, when you compare one sport to another. And nobody, nobody wants to hear about the NFL. But I think the NFL is an interesting sport, right? Because in the NFL, you got a head coach. You have an offensive coordinator, a defensive coordinator, a special teams coordinator. You've got a wide receivers coach, a running back coach, a offensive line coach a defensive line coach and you know i mean i get it there's some of that in football you got a you got a, a goalkeeper's coach and you get the head coach and you have an assistant coach but like there's not as much specialization as you as you'd expect and there are moments in football that are distinct moments you know you take a great chef right the best chefs in the world don't make desserts they hire pastry chefs because that's not what they're good at like, do I think that Mikel Arteta should be the coach and have the overwhelming control of the sort of philosophy and flow of how we play our football? Of course. But when it's a dead ball, there's an opportunity for someone whose only job is to scour world football for every set-piece routine offensively and defensively that he's ever found and imitate them, innovate against, you know, on them, disrupt them and create new opportunities. And if you get four or five goals a season from a set-piece and concede three or four goals a season fewer... That's the difference between playing Europa League and Champions League. That's the difference yep. between winning a title with 101 points or losing a title with 99 points if you're, if you're Liverpool or City, right? So I'm just sort of surprised that we don't see more specialization. And we always talk about inefficiencies and exploiting inefficiencies. And to me, one of the easiest places to do it is set pieces, is yep. hire somebody to take control of the dead ball situations and and improve on them. And this seems brilliant to me. So... How do you feel about specialization in football and about our decision to do what, what I think looks really innovative and modernized, which is you know get people in who can help with these incremental improvements? Yeah, I'm, I, like you, I'm surprised that this hasn't happened earlier. And actually in England, I remember, uh, I don't know, in the 90s, people talked about this like in, in really general terms that I don't think work, like um, defensive coaches. And actually, that was uh, something that came up with Arsene Wenger around the time everyone started dancing around the maybe Arsene Wenger just isn't that good anymore. And we kept trying to make him better. Like, what if we just get a defensive coach in? That will sort it. <laughs> and and that's obviously that's too vague and too general. And Newcastle tried that in the 90s under Kevin Keegan because they were great in attack and couldn't defend. They hired uh, Mark Lawrenson to be a defensive coach. Didn't work. Left after about three months. It's too vague and you can't. 
you can't separate defence from midfield and attack really in terms of your coaching because everyone has a little part to play in that. But yeah, I'm with you on stuff like particularly on set pieces. Um, and, and it's surprising that we're only just beginning to see it. And and look, you know, Liverpool have the throw in coach and, uh, you know, the, the and, and what, what was really annoying when, you know, Liverpool got the the guy who, who deals with the throw in situations, who I think is on a casual contract and comes in like twice a week. So it's not like the absolute focus of everything they do. I think he just runs a couple of sessions a week and, and like, you know, all the bloody like, yeah, uh, real football men were like laughing. Oh, why do you need to train someone to take a throw in? And it's like, obviously they're not training them like literally how to throw the ball. It's the situation. <laughs> they won't and have any more foul and, throws, Tim. That's going to be yeah, a difference. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, think of how, and, and you think about it, you think, well, think of how many throw-ins you get in a game. And like, actually throw-ins are quite difficult because it's really easy to pen teams in. So why, you know, cause you, there's, there's a limit to what you can do with it. And so why wouldn't you uh, have like a pattern of play for throw-ins or several patterns of play um, for throw-ins just, just so you can get yourself out of, because you get boxed in just to get yourself out of that situation. Why, why wouldn't you do that? And, and, you know, I, I, I'm really enthused um, about, you know, this guy coming in from Brentford. I mean, first of all, to your point for Arsenal at the moment, set pieces are not even a marginal gain. Um, you know, I, I, I read we're, today, we're bad at them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's yeah. a huge incremental improvement. 40, I mean, if you include penalties, 45% of the goals we conceded in the league last season were penalties. Take out or, or penalties. Set, or set pieces, you mean? Not just penalties. Uh, sorry, uh, were, were set pieces, including penalties. Take out penalties, and it's 31%. Only Manchester United conceded more. 31% of our goals conceded. You know, if you can take two or three... Take two. So, what did we get? The winner for Spurs in the North London derby corner. That doesn't happen, and we finish in the Europa League spots through the league. I know we won the FA Cup, and that was great, but you know that that was the that was the literal difference in the end between not qualifying for the for the Europa League through the league. And that's just like one example. If you cut that down by two, three, four goals, that can mean two, three or four places in the league. That can be the difference between fourth and fifth or seventh and sixth. It's it's so worth doing. And and what enthuses me about this move a little bit, again, we talked on the Patreon pod on, pod on Friday, didn't we, about Leon and where do, where do they get these exciting players from? And and actually, sometimes who you steal from uh, or who you take from, rather, is, it, you know, can be quite enthusing. And, and Brentford are a really kind of modern, forward-thinking club. I know Ted um, had some involvement there as well a couple of years ago. And look at what Brentford have done. Like, Brentford are a League 2 league one size club and they were a hair's breadth away from getting into the premier league that is how much they have been able to kind of utilize things like data and set pieces and things like they have maximized that so much that they are punching so far above their weight that it's untrue and 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 that's just not just but it's through a collection of marginal gains that they've tried to make work for them and 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 so I'm kind of glad that we're we're looking at them as a bit of a model, but also Liverpool. You know, I, I, I and again to reference Ted again. I know um, I forget where it was, but Ted was talking about how Liverpool had kind of found their own metric because their xG is quite curious. You look at their xG and you'd think that doesn't 
kind of stack up with their actual goal difference. They're massively overperforming, both in terms of uh, XG4 and XG against. And, and Ted was talking about how their data guys had actually found another data point that nobody's discovered yet, and they're working to that. So they've almost like cheated XG a little bit. And again, like just look at how Liverpool have built and built and built these marginal gains in their recruitment, in their coaching, and the way they do business. And, you know, if, if you keep adding up all of those inches, eventually they become yards. And, and that's what I want to see Arsenal doing. Brilliant. Brilliantly said. And, I mean, you guys... Everything is measured in football now. And what's great about football is there's only really one measurement that matters, goals. And there aren't a lot of them scored. So we know how valuable they are. That's why, you know, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, towards the tail end of his prime in his 30s, is going to get a huge bumper contract because he scores goals. What is it worth if an assistant coach comes in and adds three goals? He's worth something. He's worth something. I mean... Hell, you know, your backup striker gets you, what, five or six goals and you give him 60,000 pounds a week for four years? Like, if you can get these these specialists in to take a few goals off your goals conceded, add a few goals on your goal scored, I mean, literally, that's worth millions of pounds just in the places you finish in the league, let alone maybe getting you Champions League. And, and you know, you know why I love it also, Paul? Here's why. So much about football is just talent. The team with more talent wins. I mean, you look at the Champions League final, Bayern and PSG, there probably aren't two more talented squads in world football right now. And that isn't always how it works in cup football, but it pretty much did this time. Maybe Manchester City could make an argument, LOL. But like, you know, talent wins. But set pieces, I think that's an equalizer to some extent. And you could say, well, height matters there. The delivery matters. Of course it does. But like every team has someone with a wand of a foot that can put in a good ball. And everybody's got some guy who can jump who's tall. That's not the point. Set pieces are where you can take comparably less talent. And if you design it well enough, you can make it an equalizer. You can you can catch up on better teams and certainly beat up on lesser teams in the set piece moment. So this seems like an obvious place to be looking. And I also like it, Paul, because... Brentford is an analytics-driven team. You know, Tim mentioned all the reasons why they're they're a very unique situation and, and one to be admired. And if we are taking a guy from there, I think it also means that maybe we're looking at their model and saying they're doing something right. And if we think they're doing something right, maybe we will start doing some of the right things they are doing. I'm not trying to say Brentford is what Arsenal should be, but you get my point. Like imitate smart things. That's always a good. It's always a good plan. So, do you broadly agree with all that? Yeah, uh, I think Tim Tim covered. Uh, really well kind of a couple of thoughts I wanted to get to uh, but he really filled in the platform for it I think Brentford is the kind of team we should be emulating because we don't win the Premier League unless we do something like Brentford is doing but in the Premier League Um, this is the second Brentford coach we took so we got our goalkeeping coach very hard to measure like the weirdest job in the world in football Uh, If it's, if it's, you know, you you got this permanent coach, the goalkeeping coach, who never really gets a chance to shine in his own right. Uh, So such a narrow niche area to work with. And he's probably mostly been working with Emi Martinez and sure, Bernd Leno, but Bernd Leno's in the first team. He's in form. There's only, you know, what are you doing? You're doing maintenance there. You're not trying to change his world. But the one guy who's probably been... 
he's got the freedom to try and bring up a couple of levels is Martinez. And uh, Gunnar Blog does a great thing back in February on who are the, the profile of our coaches and what their jobs are. It's really quite interesting. So at City, they had the three assistants in their group, and we've we've uh, replicated that. We have Round, we have Stivey, and we had Freddie, and maybe it'll be Bergkamp to, oh, to fill in that role. Imagine. If you're going to yeah. lose Freddie, getting Bergkamp isn't a bad trade. <laughs> yeah, now why does he want Bergkamp? I, I, you know, such a long shadow. I don't know if I'm Mikel Arteta that I want Bergkamp standing right next yeah, to me. Yeah, you walk, you walk into that... work with a guy who walks by a, a statue of himself every morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, not ideal. Uh, and that that bad 10-game streak in the middle of the season and everybody's getting twitchy on whether you're still the guy and Bergkamp's... I don't well, know look, the good news one. is you can't give the head coaching job to the guy who won't fly as long as you stay in Europe. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, He's on. probably yeah. all right with the channel tunnel, though. Yeah. But yeah, you look at somebody like Bergkamp and you think uh, Arteta just wanted him there because he's a fan. And, you know, his other option was Santi Cazorla. Well, he just wanted Santi because Santi's fun. But uh, there's the Freddy spot where you, you kind of have this big personality who you can, they kind of consigliere, kind of the big picture, give you feedback. So Arteta gets that. He's got Stivey, Stivenberg, I think it is, uh, who was under Louis van Gaal and uh, uh, Ryan Giggs, but we'll forget about that last one. But he's basically the Dutch tactics guy um, who's going to give it to, who's going to tell Arteta how he needs to play next weekend. And Arteta then makes his own decisions, what he wants to do. So kind of Arteta played, fulfilled that role at City for a while. Uh, But he also fulfilled the uh, set pieces role for, that was what he did his badges on. Um, So some interesting echoes there. Not surprising that that was one of the uh, additional roles he had filled in, especially when you see some of those short corners we got done on uh, towards the end of the season. I'm surprised actually under Arteta we got caught so many times in that way. But there you go. You you need uh, you got so much going on. Even if you have the skills and the abilities, you need to delegate and have somebody else on it. So um, you know, uh, Steve Round is the other character, and he's the good cop, bad cop. So. He was uh, Moyes' good cop because Moyes was a pretty, pretty dour, miserable, bad cop who was mainly <laughs> spending all his time uh, criticizing and critiquing. So he's kind of the man manager, the psychology, the kind of keep keeping an eye on players, somebody who's approachable. So you got the three main roles there. You got the keeper coach. You got um, our uh, a specialist coach coming in for set pieces. And it's just really heartening that these guys, when you go and read through their profiles, they're all stats guys. They're all kind of advanced methods. So with all the kind of all that shit we were dealing with for the last couple of weeks of pulling our hair out with this agent led contacts approach, uh, you know, you know, double down, triple down on Brentford stats, uh, marginal gains, all this good stuff. Younger players coming in. This this is a good week, I think, this last seven days. Makes me feel a lot better about where we're going. That maybe we pulled our head out of our ass. <laughs> that would that would be nice. Yeah. I mean, was it was it Liverpool that just won a Champions League the season before this one with a corner kick routine yes. to to yes. to to win the game? I mean, like talk about marginal gains. Clive, you're the coach though. As someone who coaches, and I realize it's a different level and and you know, the need for this kind of specialization is a little different at the level you're coaching, but like 
How would you react to someone saying to you, I don't want you handling every bit of how the, you know, how the sausage is made. I, I want you to get a special for set pieces. I mean, just because you're a good coach on flow or setup or um, possession or whatever doesn't mean you've scoured the world and have the best insight into an in-swinging versus out-swinging corner, zonal versus man. I mean, how how much would you enjoy the opportunity to say, I'm just going to coach how we play football and I've got this other guy who's aces at the set pieces? Yeah, it's just leadership, right? Um, when you're a leader, you basically make sure you surround yourselves with people that can do things that you can't, right? So it's just classic. This is something that an area that maybe you want to see a bit more specialism in and he's, he's added to it. When you think about it, in every single game, um, a, there's 40 to 50 throw-ins every single game. So that just tells you the ball is out of play a lot and you have to have a restart without wishing to sound like Sam Allardyce. You have to have a number of restarts and it's something that I've been researching over the weekend actually to do a throwing session from my own team and how what we tend to do, we tend to throw it down the line, flick it on and it's 50-50. We want to do much more movement so we retain the ball and switch play to the other side. There are coaching routines and patterns, how to block people, how to switch play and to isolate and to areas where you can isolate people one-on-one. So this is what's happening. This is not new. This isn't new, honestly. It's just about time, shall we say it, you know? And this is happening at the lower league levels. And so it's good that we are putting a focus on it. And I, I remember a few years ago, probably about three, four years ago now, went to one of those members' days at the club and I remember looking around at our coaches and I can't remember all that I can't remember all their all their names now. Um basically I don't remember all their names, but they look so old. They look so old at Vengas staff. They look, you know, with Bora and um they were Steve but they look so old. They look so dated. They look so dated. And basically mm. I'm looking around now and I'm thinking we're looking younger, more forward-thinking, and we are heading into, we're just rebuilding. I just think it's wonderful. I really do think it's wonderful that rather than be a club, I know it's tough for the club at the moment because when you have a manager that's been there 20-plus years, he tends to keep people there with him a very long time. So when they go, it's a major blow. It's a major blow to the to a to a club, to people, because they become pillars. And then, But we need to do this, and it's, if you want to rebuild, it's not just the playing staff that needs to rebuild, it's everything that needs to rebuild. And I think that modernization needs to happen because we were not modernized before. You know, we were we were in different places before. We were much more in one person's hands. And so, yeah, I read something at the weekend, I think it might have been Legro said something. There is a modernization going on, but Arsenal is also being made much more corporate as well. You know, mm. so there is a change in the club. And I, and I, being someone from a corporate background and somebody that's used to having these sort of specifics in place, this is like about time stuff for me, really. It really is. And um, I'm pleased that we're being brave enough. It's going to be tough. I keep saying change is tough. And it is tough when it affects people within the club when their roles have changed or no longer going to be there or they're being moved out because they've got someone else being specific. But we also, we're quite quick to say when people are not doing their jobs, right? So at the moment, we're not drifting. and We have drifted for many, many years, right? So it's just a coach, but it's indicative of all the other things that are happening around the club, and I think it's quite positive. 
Yeah, yeah, well said. And I mean, look, the point is, if you can take a group of players that have a certain amount of talent and add ways to get more from that same talent without just magically making them better players, that's important. You hope Arteta can coach them up and get them playing in a system that makes them look better. And then you hope the set-piece guy can make throw-ins and corners and and free kicks more valuable. Um, And certainly the way we defend them can be improved. I think one thing that we talk about when we talk about set-piece coaching is drawing up better routines, but it can also be improving them defensively. And I think this guy... Uh, is known for that in particular. So let's move off this, and Tim, let's get to the final point here, the Champions League final, um, a game that I think you would have to say, aside from the FA Cup final, is one of the is one of the big games in world football. And there were a lot of good players on display, but maybe none more impressive uh, on the day than Thiago Alcantara, a player that I have long lusted after, uh, an example of Barcelona's utter incompetence at managing their own squad and their own incomings and outgoings. A La Masia guy, basically. I think he was La Masia, right? Um, who they lost because they just couldn't find a way to keep him. And and he comes back and he, and he haunts them. And uh, to be fair, I, I, I think he doesn't haunt them. He haunts PSG. What the hell am I talking about? Uh, who am I thinking about? Who scored the goal who was a PSG Academy guy? Uh, uh, Kingsley Coman. Coman, yeah, thank you. All right. I'm totally off the rails right now. Uh, but moral of the story is, you know, I, I have put a lot of hours in this podcast into expressing that I don't think we should buy anyone over the age of 14 years old and how, you know, you, you can't you can't buy late prime players and you can't give them money in Obama. I've been Yang. waiting for this all day. Obama Yang should be sold for, for five pounds and so should everybody we have that's over 27 and I'm not, I'm, I'm against the party deal, which I've, I'm on record as, but I'd break all my rules for Tiago Alcantara. I still think moves are about value, right? It's about value. Do I think party at 27 for 50 million pounds is value? I don't. We're not going to get into that right now. Do I think arguably the best central midfielder in all of world football is worth whatever he's going to cost, which is probably less than 50 million pounds at 29? Now you've got me interested. Tiago Alcantara, to me, Tim, is a player that fixes you instantly in midfield. Um, I'm interested. Look, we're we're probably not going to get him. There are rumors we are in for him. We're probably not going to get him. Does he fix us instantly? Would you do this deal? He has an injury track record that's scary, and he is 29. But for me, he is in that rare bracket of quality where you almost throw everything out and just get him if you can because he he fixes the midfield instantly, in my view. Yeah, he's that he's that Cazorla cheat player, uh, the the player that can do um, a bit of everything, but yeah, just instantly brings the technical... Uh, level of your midfield up someone that can really really control the rhythm of a game and someone that can you know someone that really knows how to use the ball um i I, i'll kind of uh reactivate my primary use on this podcast which is the pronunciation of brazilian names uh because even though he he's well so he was born in italy um and he plays for spain but his father is uh mazinho who won the world cup for brazil in 1994 so it's it's thiago alcantara Hmm. Um, okay. the, the, stre- the stress is there's a little squiggle above the A so the stress is there but anyway Ch- Chago Alcantara uh, is yeah I mean he's he's absolutely exceptional and I, I don't even know why Bayern are letting him go to be honest with you um, and and look I, I think it's really pie in the sky because like you know Liverpool is the really strong rumour and he's playing for Bayern Munich and he's a really important player for Bayern Munich and you know I mean for Arsenal 
so this is going to be a bit of an over-exaggeration, but for Arsenal at this point, at probably their weakest point for 25 years, to pick up a player like that, it would call to mind Arsenal getting Dennis Bergkamp just after they'd finished 12th in the Premier League. Um, and I'm not saying he'd make that kind of impact, not least because he wouldn't be at the club for 11 years, probably. But yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think he's he's just the type of player that you bring in and you don't, you don't have to worry about building your midfield anymore. Like it's kind of built once he's there you don't you don't have to think too much about or oh, who who suits Shaka and who suits Sabios and you know which blend of qualities goes with which I think he's just someone you just parachute in and say right yep that's um that like Fabregas right we we didn't used to agonize over who partnered Cesc Fabregas it wasn't like should it be Danielson or Song or Gilberto or Edu like there was never a conversation it was just we've got Fabregas who cares who plays alongside him quite frankly and and I think this and and kind of similar with Cazorla really once we worked out his best position was deeper um it it was less a case of who partners him albeit the Cochrane partnership was effective, but I think that was about 80% Cazorla, maybe more. Um, and, and yeah, this, this is the same with Thiago. This, this is just the sort of player you don't argue about who fits with him. He kind of makes people fit with him. He's not an awkward player to accommodate. And the reason he's not an awkward player to accommodate is because where he plays and how good he is at playing it. And uh, I, I bet, you know, the player and the coach that Mikel Arteta is, you know, I, I bet he'd do some terrible, terrible things <laughs> to bring to bring Thiago to Arsenal. I don't see it, but yeah, I, I would absolutely love it. And I also think he's the type of player who, you know, when he's 32, 33, he'll still be really good um, so long as he's fit. Which, which, like you say, is is probably the only, the only real. Like, I don't view the aging part of it as that much of a problem. It's more the fitness that that's where the risk sits. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and I mean, to be fair, that is a risk. So I don't know, you know, I, I, I don't know how much money you want to spend on a player like this, but our midfield is, is bad. It's just bad. And to get one player who makes it good overnight, um, given what we have in attack and given what we've just done defensively, you suddenly look at a team that gets really interesting. I mean, I sort of joked on Twitter, you know, I was like, Tiago, Ceballos, Coutinho, that, you know, who's going to stop us winning the title? <laughs> you know, um, but those are moves you can do. And even though they are sort of outside the traditional squad building model I would lean into, I think they make you so much better so quickly in areas that you've been so deficient that you almost, you almost break every rule for it. I mean, Paul, are you in agreement about that being a, a rule-breaking kind of player? Yeah, but I'm mostly in agreement that it's never going to happen. So Okay, um, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he just... That'd be absolutely delicious for a few years. Um, would love it. Um, and would give us all the, the sizzle that we, we are... We associate with the club we support, certainly over the last couple of decades, and we seem to be lacking sizzle right now Danny's the closest thing we have we're not sure if we're getting him back uh, but yeah he uh, as Tim so rightly said you can uh, the other players are all going to shine around him because he's going to give them the ball to put them in good situations so it becomes less and less 
of a problem. We don't have that player that makes everybody else in midfield uh, look a level higher. So he would be he would be wonderful. Yeah, Clive, you want to make it a, a perfect foursome of people lusting after a player we have no chance to get because yeah, hashtag content. I think. I think um... I remember we were having our party discussion on one of the podcasts, and I said to you there are two players in Europe with the highest number of take-ons. It's Thomas Party and Tiago Alcantara. They have got the two players that absolutely fix us. On the half turn, press-resistant, getting out of the press. Tiago showed it the weekend when he got some terrible passes given to him. He still managed to get out of it. You could say, I agree with your point about value. I, I'm Even though I really love party, I don't think the value's at £43 million. I think that's too much. I do think that's too much. So we want to see if that value comes down. But £23 million for an injury-prone Thiago is also too much. So that is also an issue. But playing-wise, now my views of midfield, deep midfielders take the ball allow you to spread into wide areas into your attacking midfielders, stroke wingers that roll into midfield and take the ball from a higher position. So it's the base of the midfield we need to rebuild. We've got Torreira, we've got Granduzzi, we've got Shaka. We can have a debate about all three of them. All three could go. All three, Shaka will probably stay. The other two may well go. But we need two to three more midfielders. We need a complete rebuild in there. How we achieve that, Sobias doesn't stay. You're going to have to do some work. And that maybe explains where we started the podcast, why Maitland-Niles has to go, why there are rumours about Berlin at the moment, why there are rumours about Klasnik at the moment. We need to sell to allow these options to open. There are rumours about Awa coming, or potentially coming, if we can do the right sort of deal. These are the types of players we should be linked with. They are really smart, technical, press-resistant, take-on experts which we used to have so many of in yesteryear. So it's great news that we're linked to these type of players because it, it tells me that Arteta knows what the problem statement is in centre midfield. So, yep, full house for me. Yeah. Awar. 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 No, no. Awar. Awar. By the way, look, I don't always name the podcast that well. I'll, I'll fully admit it. Some people like the 56th redundancy. I thought that was a decent one. Loved but it. Magali eyes and ah was one of my favorite ones from from recent times. Uh, I got a good one for today. Do you guys want to know what it is? I can say it now because people listening have already seen yes. it. Yes. Bye bye birdie catcher. What do we think of that? Like Terrible. Bye bye birdie, but he's a birdie catcher. Ooh. No. Bye bye bird catcher. You don't like it? There's still time to change it. Let's do this live. We're doing it live. <laughs> <laughs> I need more cowbell. Pause on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks. Pause. <laughs> Tim's on Twitter. Stilberto. Thank you, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. As you already know, because you're already listening, it's Bye Bye Birdie Catcher. It's the title. It's a fucking title. We're sticking with it. A lot of announcements coming. We'll be back with more podcasts. We'll have a Patreon pod tomorrow. We'll have video pods coming out. And when we announce a double swoop for Awa and Tiago Alcantara, whoo boy, maybe we'll just all make orgasm noises into the microphone. Wouldn't that be fun? We love you. We'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Transfer window nil. The headlines remind us daily. The world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. 
and your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.